Interesting little tune you're humming, Doctor. Just biding time, Stephen, dear boy. Why should I try to kickstart this TARDIS? <laughs> kickstart, eh? <laughs> well, whatever is the matter with the machine? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Yes, well, the visualizer was picking up some interesting television programs from the late 20th century. And something strange appeared on the screen. The entire console suddenly stopped working. Well, what on earth appeared on the screen and caused it? Well, you see, Stephen, I could have sworn for a moment that I saw your face on the screen. What? From the 20th century? <laughs> Well, that's jolly well impossible, Doctor. Well, not quite impossible, Stephen. There have been cases of facial patterns being repeated throughout history. Some say my people even base our regenerated appearances on those who've influenced us. Or, in one case, those who shot us. Doctor, you're really not making any sense now. The strange thing is, Stephen, I saw some chap who looked exactly the same as you. Yes, his name was Peter, though. Some sort of blue Peter? Blue Doctor? <laughs> well, now I know it's nonsense. Not much chance of the human race changing to a blue colour soon. Yes, I suppose so. Oh, blast, look at that. I've lost the antenna to repair the visualizer. Not to worry, Doctor. Here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> Just need a little piece of sticky back plastic to finish it off. Oh, I see, Stephen. Uh, one you made earlier. Hmm. Sticky back plastic, eh? Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. Hello, I'm Stephen Moffat, showrunner of Doctor Who, and welcome to the Doctor Who On Target podcast. Welcome to Who's on Target, the podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who books from the 1970s and 80s. If you missed Doctor Who on TV in those pre-DVD days, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the Target novelisation. So, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth, and join us as... With a wheezing, groaning sound, we discuss, analyse and reminisce who's on target. Hello and welcome to Doctor Who, Who's on Target. This is Greg in Swansea. This is Alex in Exeter. This is Michael, also in Swansea. So this week we're going to discuss The Massacre by John Lucarotti, the book, and the audiobook read by Peter Purvis. Alex, would you like to go first, giving us your general overview of the book? Well, I thought it was an interesting story. It had a, a sort of good historical background of the piece, but I don't know if I really liked it. I, I, I did sort of find it a bit long-winded in some places and a bit sort of lacking of ideas. That was my sort of feeling of it. 
it's interesting because this one we've got no surviving episodes and i think this i think i'm right in saying this is the first story we've reviewed like that isn't it Certainly, yeah. My sort of general overview as well was um, quite in-depth, really. One heck of a lot of characters, obviously because it's based upon an, a real-life historical event, isn't it? It's the, the Doctor Who take on that. Um, and that possibly bogs it down in places, I think. Generally, sort of enjoyed it overall. I, I have to say, firstly, these sorts of historical heartmelt stories, I really like. I, I, I love the ones on uh, TV that we've seen, for example... You know, the Aztecs and so forth. I, I love the historical ones. I love the pace of them. I love the fact that there's this sort of intrigue. The Romans is another good one, isn't it? The historical. I like Very them. good, the Romans, yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that is good, that is good. I came to this knowing nothing about it at all. And the amount of... It comes across as though John Lucarotti is a very scholarly guy who really knows this subject. And I think... As you said, Mike, the amount of characters and people and what's going on, I found very, very confusing. Yes, I agree. Would you uh, agree with that, Alex, or off your uh, own point? Yeah, I would. I, I don't think it helps that there's a lot of similar names because you're sitting there thinking, well, hang on, are they talking about the companion Stephen or are they talking about another character called Stephen? And I was just getting slightly lost listening to it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. That... I think so too. I mean, sort of, if we if we give sort of... They yeah. arrive in Paris, don't they? The Doctor and Stephen on yeah. the eve of what's called the massacre of Saint Bartholomew's Eve. You know, that's I think that was the title given on television, but this is just known as the massacre in novel form. Yes, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, who's going to give an overview of the story? Is it? Is it? Uh, and it's sort of difficult to pin down a general overview, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. me. Mean... Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking that because I've just been sitting a minute ago trying to think. Could I do it in like a paragraph? And it's really difficult. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, sort of it's a religious conflict at the heart, isn't it? You know, the yeah. old, um, the French Catholics, don't you? Yeah. And the French Protestants, the Huguenots. Yeah. Uh, known as that. And there's also a Doctor Who link with that because John Pertwee used to say he believed his his Pertwee name evolved from a family of Huguenots, didn't he? And there's also another Doctor Who link with the Huguenots because Mark Gatiss is... Um, who do you think you are documentary on the other week that links him back to something to do with the Huguenots didn't it that, that was I'm really interesting that, that yeah. yeah I'm reminded of that yeah that was interesting wasn't it it was yeah well we could go a digression here sorry, into that uh, oh, it's okay it's okay back to the massacre yeah um can I speak Greg about the start or not going off topic yeah, if I do that you know um I do like the start in that um you know Doctor Who is full of these big grandiose adventures seeing these beautiful parts of time and space and the Doctor and Stephen arrive in this story in a Paris uh, amid sewers, isn't it? You know, it's sort of, it brings you right into that sort of gritty, yes. gritty time period of the century it's set in. And, um, yeah, yeah, really, yeah I, but I, I'd say on a plus, the way he actually describes and set the scene is actually makes it quite interesting. And I thought it was really well described, the actual bit in Paris when you first see Paris. And of course, book. yes, and the Doctor is sort of delighted that it means the TARDIS won't get noticed because... <laughs> Because you know his his words are along the lines of um you know people are throwing throwing uh, their their rubbish their rubbish they, um, their refuse and uh, their refuse over the walls aren't they you know on one side with the TARDIS is on the other so he's he's quite delighted of that you know and I can I mention about the relationship between the Doctor and Stephen mm. I mean I think is this the first book we reviewed where it's been the Doctor and a male companion I think it is all oh, right yeah, yeah it, it is it almost seems a bit sort of apart from Harry Harry yeah, yeah of course but yeah. he had Sarah there as yeah. well didn't he yeah. just 
alone as with Stephen Taylor, who's I think an astronaut mm. from the twenty fifth century, is yes. and he's picked up in the chase. I've recently watched that episode, mm. that Dalek story, um, played by Peter Purvis. Yes, and you know it's it's quite laddish beginning. There's an like an element of sarcasm in Stephen, isn't there? Yes. In that yeah. he um, he tries to sort of jolly up the Doctor to begin with by saying, you know, oh, I think I've gone off course, as if he's talking to a sort of mission control in a human uh, in a human space mission. Yes. And the Doctor sort of snaps back, you know, no, I think you'll find I am mission control. Uh, and Luca Rotti writes that sort of Hartnell prickliness. He, he yeah. sets his stall out for the Hartnell sort of prickliness straight away, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. I, I, I do think they work very well together, Stephen and him, because they're, they're sort of similar but not similar, the Doctor and his character. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I liked it. Once I got a little bit of an angle on what on earth was going on in this story with, with all the other characters. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like this, that they're having this journey into Paris. And some of the things I, I, I really liked was the about the catacombs under the city, which they said, you know, some fascinating history about them dating back. They were, it says in the, they, were, they were Celtic burial tombs or something. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. I thought that was great. Though, I, I does anybody know what a toxin bell is? They... No, I mean, Luca Rodney sees it as critical, really, isn't it? And I'm trying to... Yeah. Trying to... Th- I, I think, I think, I'm don't, not 100% sure, I think it's meant to be like sort of a warning that something's about to happen. Right, right. Oh, because because there are, there are different bells and sounds and uh, within it, aren't there? And I, I just thought, obviously, he's a scholarly man. He's using mm. all these correct terms but goodness me I, I haven't got a clue what, what what they are i couldn't even look it up <laughs> and um yeah there's a an ending to one of the chapters it may be the first chapter isn't it and yeah luca Rotti writes that they both called it a different type of bell yes and he sort of says little do they know that the name toxin bell was the more important yes yeah yeah there's a more apt way of describing it and that's what um i felt that the scholarliness got in the way a bit there because it, it, do you think it dries it out a bit? Yes, yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah, yeah, you're right, Alex. It, it dries it out a bit, doesn't it? It's um, If somebody had been there saying, like Terence, saying, hold on, story, 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 keep the narrative going, great to know, but stopping you, isn't it? It's yeah. drying it out and holding it up when he was actually doing a very good job of getting it to be exciting, I think. Yes, because the doctors actually aimed for Paris to go and visit the... Uh, apothecary isn't he that's that's his reasoning but i was just saying about the whole maybe laddishness of the two lads together what's the first thing they do they go to a tavern they go to a pub (laughs) yes yes. did you you notice that al i did i did indeed there's a lot of of um scenes in this book where it's just simply oh we're in a we're in a tavern and it's drinking between people basically sort of sort of plotting conversation mainly gets done in the taverns in this book as as it does with Doctor Who fandom and conventions as well. I oh, think yes. we'll find. I'll say, I, I, you know, I like the fact that it's a bit of a journey. They're going across Paris. They get separated. Um, and I like this, the, the Abbot of Ambrose, you know, the fact that he's a doppelganger. You know, we'll speak about the audio later, won't we? I do like yeah, Peter yeah. Lewis's uh, voice of Hartnell and the Abbot. Yes, yeah. But it's such a shame, isn't it? It's such a shame that it doesn't exist. It is. Because it would have been great to see Hartnell. I mean, we have, um, in the series, we have Troughton, don't we? 
in the enemy of the world playing yes. Santa yes, Amanda as well that's what I think of yeah. when they they're yeah. all about the double gangers yeah yes and um, it's just such a shame really it would have been great to see Hartnell I mean there's a robot version of him in the chase but I don't think it's done very well but um, no, that's for another no. time another story yeah yeah but I, I think with that story um I mean, some of the things which struck me was I, I liked the this confusion which arises with the doppelganger. Um, and I, I, I do wonder, though, where that story goes with that. I mean, how did you feel following that part of the story, Alex? Um, well, I, I thought it was an interesting idea, but like you, I just didn't think it went anywhere, to be honest. It was a, a nice idea in theory, but it just doesn't explain what's the point of it. That's, that was my feeling of it. Uh, uh, Mike? I mean, I mean, ultimately it does end in the destruction of the Abbott, doesn't it? Sorry, spoilers. Yeah. You know, that's quite a, a good way to put a bit of shock in the narrative, isn't it? Because, you know, you have Stephen at one point, it's, it, it reads and it listens to quite tensely, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. In, yeah. in the uh, audiobook as well, where Stephen does doubt whether... It's the doctor who's been killed or not, and he's sort of. Until he checks his pockets, isn't it? Yes, and Luca yeah. Rotti thinks, yeah. Luca Rotti writes, was he going to spend the rest of his days here, you know, living in this 15th century France, Disney, yes, and that? Yeah. That sort of put, yeah. puts a bit of shock in and sort of. I don't know I, what that. Obviously, we don't know what that's like in a TV show. No, we don't. But I have to say, um, as far as the writing goes, I do admire many of the things which John Luca Rotti has done. He's really. Um, sort of thrown himself into the book, I think, hasn't he? He knows, you know, knows his subject. He knows. Oh, he knows the real. It does, the it real can, events, doesn't he? Absolutely, it comes oh, across. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and not only that. Perhaps Mike and Alex can talk about more because I, I wasn't quite sure what was going on here. But he actually tops and tails the story with this time lord sequence. So could you explain to that bit about that to us, Mike? Right. Well, obviously, this story was broadcast, I believe, nineteen sixty-six. I may be wrong. Correct me. Um, I think it's about then. Sort of would have been very early 1966, early winter 1966, in sort of January, February time. Um, regeneration didn't get created as a concept until Hartnell, Hartnell's illness meant he had to leave later that year, the following autumn, um, when he regenerated, the first regeneration. And so Luca Rotti has gone back and written this book, I think, was it as re- fairly recently as 1987 this book was first published? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah so John Luca Rotti has returned to that and bookended this... T- uh, book ended this title as a reminiscence of the Doctor under what's called a sort of Garden of Tranquility of the Time Lords, isn't it? He's yes, he's yeah. sort of being questioned on the events that happened there. You know, it's an interesting narrative. I mean, I did track down the uh, loose canon reconstruction online where you have tele snaps with the um, existing audio from the episodes recorded in the 60s. And it's it's very different in that book. I mean, there's a sort oh. of whole ending where the TARDIS materialises on Wimbledon Common. Right. Is that is that canon? Is that the one where that's that's the one that would have been on television. Right. Yeah. Oh. It actually, right. actually materialises on Wimbledon Common. Um, Stephen gets angry with the Doctor for not being able to save more people. Ah. Sort of in a sort Ooh, of mirror angles. A mirror event of um, Donna in series four yeah, with David yeah. Tennant on Pompeii. Yeah. We've oh just, really? We just seen yeah. that reference with Mr. Capaldi as well, haven't we? That's interesting. The most recent yeah, episode, well. and he Stephen actually goes to leave the TARDIS. And then you get this lovely soliloquy from William Hartnell saying how everybody leaves him. Oh, really? And that was the one referenced in An Adventure of Space and Time when he has a little sort of breakdown on set. I don't remember that in the in this version. Is it not? No, no, that's not in this version at all oh. because it's, it's told they just leave Paris in the book version. Right. And then it goes back to the garden where the Doctor is relaying events. Oh, that's so the Doctor and Stephen easy. have left at the end of the massacre. Don't, I, don't yeah. I think with this version, though, it does have a nice sort of wrap-up with the 
how explain how one you know the later companion is actually the same person. I thought that was a nice twist. Yeah, sorry, I was getting onto that. And when they're on Wimbledon Common, Stephen goes to leave, but then two policemen, a young boy, something has been knocked over, and two policemen come running towards and a and a lady come running towards Tardis. Right. So Stephen sees them and turns around and goes, oh, I'd better sort this out, you know, in case they, they think it's a normal police box. Yeah. And uh, the woman who actually runs into the TARDIS introduces herself as Dodo Chaplat. Ah. And then that's, mm, that's, 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 so, that sort ah. of goes back to the fact that um, someone in the Chaplat line did survive. Because right. it's 20th century Earth in Wimbledon Common where it's materialised. Yeah. So Stephen then gets back aboard the TARDIS and travels with Dodo and the Doctor. Sorry, I'm confused. Is that the real, actual that's, transmission? That's, that would have been the episode that somebody's recorded the audio of back in the 60s. Oh, that's interesting to yeah, know so that, that, they survives, were, yeah. that they were playing with um, timey-wimey. They were the playing with it then, yeah, but yeah. obviously... Not as much as the hell. No, 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 no. But in the book, the epilogue... The time will say to the doctor, oh, you later travelled with a, a lady called Dodo Chaplet. Yeah. Was she a relative of these people? And he just sort of says, oh, you never know. Yeah. So yeah, it's up yeah. in the air. It's timey-wimey, but it's yeah, up in the air. Yeah. Did you know any of that, Alex? Or? I didn't know any of that, to what I just no. said. But it, it, I, I like both. I, I think that one. book makes a bit more sense, I think. You Come think? on, Mr. Morris, find this or that, those episodes. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Or but, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's interesting. What, what did you think of those top and tail bits then, um, Alex? Um, I, I think they. I think in the book they 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 do work because it makes sort of a sort of bookend, nice sort of beginning and ending bit to the book. But I also like what Mike was just saying because that sounds a bit more interesting. But I still think the book works. To be honest, I mean that would they both work, don't they? That would have worked back in the sixties before we had the concept of renewal, regeneration. Yeah, yeah. And it works now, but it's also it reminds me how we had an epilogue, didn't we, in the Pyramids of Mars? Where Sarah Jane is in a library, yes, reading about yeah. the events or how how they were reported the events in the uh, yes in the earlier twentieth century at the Manor House, yeah. Um, but that must have been exciting. I mean, I always used to get very excited as a child by multi doctor stories. Yes, and I'm yeah. lying if I say I still don't know. Yeah, know, I love Day of the Doctor. Yeah, but um, that oh, must have been like the extra the extra I'm things like that. That's brilliant. Yeah, as in the modern social media era, we get minisodes and prequels. Hmm. That must have been quite exciting to have a new a new slant yeah. on. Uh, Something we hadn't seen on TV. Absolutely. That's what Target absolutely. looks could give you. And of course, this this um uh, this isn't a multi Doctor story, but a multi William Hartnell story. Oh yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, well, I just want to go back to the story because I feel that um, we're struggling between the three of us, even though we've we've read and listened to actually come up with with what the story. I mean, if we were to say um, Frontios, for instance. We, we we know what the story is, you yes. know. It's it's a planet. It's under under siege, and people are being taken away. What is this story? What what is it that's going on here? I think we've all described it as timey wimey now. It's yeah, <laughs> it's very tidy. I I think the point of it is that the doctor knows that the massacre is about to come, and he's sort of in that sort of dilemma: do I change things or not? Basically, I think that's the point of it. Oh, that's that's an excellent description, Alex. I think because. I was going to get to the point that um, a bit which I found interesting in it and which I, I I liked was when he in the guise of the ab is it in the guise of the abbot of Amboise he's in the courtroom is am I right there where he um, he then says that you shouldn't be fighting Christian against Catholic sorry Protestant against Catholic yes that's the doctor yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely the doctor saying that yeah, yeah yeah and I thought that's a lovely. But I, I like that when he's saying yeah. he shouldn't be doing that. And basically, is he trying to avert the massacre there? 
possibly trying to do what he can really, doesn't it? You know, I don't mean. Well, I mean, what would happen if he totally averted it? You know, well, what yes. sort of timeline would we be on now? You know, this is yes. this has been explored in the new series. I but, think. But it's interesting, isn't it, that he starts off saying that, um, you know, you mustn't, you can't change history, you can't do this, you can't, and yet. He's doing things, meddling. I mean, when he's actually on his way to meet the apothecary to give him information which will allow him to do things which he might not have discovered himself. Mm-hmm. Two, in the court scene, instead of allowing history to play out, he's telling people how to behave morally rather than what they actually did, which was just murder everybody yes. you know, and slaughter and genocide. So he's actually breaking all the rules himself, isn't he? Yeah, interesting, because it isn't isn't part of the ending to do with one of the people he allows... Is it two people to escape Paris and go to a, a different mm, part? I think so, yeah. And, he, and he, he actually says to Stephen then, I came to visit... Was it the apo- apothecary? Yeah. I came to visit him yes. because he'd, he goes to meet a chap somewhere who works on the theory of Germanology. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so that's... yeah. Was that, that, that was the whole basis of the Doctor wanting to go there in the first place. So he was there to do this and talk about him, and, and I, I'm assuming a part, impart information to enable the guy to, what, uh, I don't know, get a cure for something? Or I think what, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, well, I, think that, I think that's possibly the, the point to it. Well, like, well, like all of us, I think we're struggling, because I think we're not really used to... Um, a book that doesn't really have a, a central villain or central monster. This book sort of that's has... That's true, they all sort of have shades of light and dark, don't they, really? Yeah, that's a good point, Alex, actually. Yeah, it's, there's no central... You know, that's, that's interesting, actually, isn't it? Maybe that's one of the things that's confusing about it is it's not this is the evil target mm-hmm. which has to be stopped or destroyed, mm-hmm. but there's just a whole confusion of people trying to do this and trying to do that um, do you think i think so there's a lot of, lot of conniving going on isn't there and it's obviously you know it's sort of religion <laughs> don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> that that concept we have as humans that has caused more wars than anything else in history yeah um controversial i'm going to say that it's my opinion yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. the other guys to theirs but yeah. um yeah you know that's sort of in the backdrop of it isn't it and it just you listen throughout this book and you just think people actually thought like that at some point in history. Yeah. You know, thank goodness we we are where we are now in history, you know, in some ways, you know, some yeah. ways some people are still carrying on holy wars, aren't they? But well, yeah. Which yeah. is terribly frightening. It, it makes and you probably think... always will, as long as there's humans on earth, sadly. But Yeah, it makes you think, I mean, what what's changed now from from then? Yeah, you know, the same things are going on right now, aren't they? Yeah, you know, know we can like say yeah. we yeah, yeah. So we're like more civilized, you know, in parts of the world and things, but yeah, yeah. So it's quite interesting, but um, uh, overall, as a story, then, so Mike, so what do you feel first? Overall, as a story, how much did you enjoy it? Not score. I know you just mean the just just as a story. Do you think it was a story? Good story? A good story. A, a hard listening parts largely because it it toos and froes between characters, doesn't it? Yes. There's so many characters, and you can have characters for a certain amount of words in a scene, and then you you pop over to another part of Paris and another part of another part, and it's yeah. very yeah yeah it doesn't really sort of flow, does it? It's, no. it's too choppy. Yeah, Alex, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I sort of agree with what Mike said. What well, it is all over the place to be honest there's so much going on but you can't keep with it and when you're trying to keep with it something else happens and then another thing happens so you sort of have 
a lot going on, and then you lose the sort of thread of what you're thinking about, and then it does come together at the end. But I still felt a bit, well, what's actually happened at the end? So I wasn't, I did enjoy the story, but I just didn't really get it, to be honest. Yes, can I just add in again, Greg, that it's one of those stories you just sort of feel is missing something, but you can't quite put your finger on what. Yeah, don't you? It's missing. Yeah, what is it yeah. missing, Alex? Can you help yeah. me out here? Yeah, what is it I, missing? I think it's. I think it's missing a central villain. That's honest. true. I think, yeah. I think it's missing something to say. This is this is who is causing the problem. This is who the doctor's got to fight, and hopefully at the end you'll have a happy ending, or you'll have an ending that makes you feel he's done what the doctor does. I think that's the main problem. It doesn't have. A central villain. I I think yeah, yes. it's just an absolute master plan, which is to say wipe out one race. I mean, you can say yeah, they're trying to wipe out a certain part of religion, aren't they? You know, well, it's, it's not like yeah. a whole sort of. It is life threatening, you know, on our earth, but it's not like a a doctor destroying a distant planet where you might get a one race just wanting to wipe out an entire world. You know, yes. it's not. It's nothing as concrete as that, is it? No. no, no. I think what it needs is it needs a central sort of character like. Um, say, a master character or a missy character who basically persuades people to do something really bad and the Doctor can fight it. Well, I just think because there's so many different threads going on, it doesn't really have a centre to it. That's the problem. Yeah, it just feels to me um, as if they are just there, caught up in a big swirl of events and nothing really is going to come of it because we know... The massacre isn't averted. We know people don't stop wanting to kill people who believe things different to theirs. We know that everything did still happen in Paris, you know, and I don't, um, and I think that's the problem. You're caught up in it and there's all little confusing bits, but there's there's no, no central character to aim for and there's no absolute threat to... The Doctor and Stephen, they're like series of small little threats, do you think? Yeah, can I just uh, interject with something I've just thought of? Yeah. Is this literally a rare occasion of the Doctor not being in control of the story? Interesting, yeah. He literally yeah. can't do much apart from, you know, send the two characters away at the end to another yeah. part of France. and yeah. Yes. Make sure history goes on to have this gentleman discovering the... Yeah. Theory of Germanology. Yes, yeah. It's almost yeah. See, this almost yeah. seems too big for him, doesn't it? You know, this whole, you know, like you said, you mentioned that scene in the courthouse. He tries to, yeah, he tries to reason with them. Yes, yeah. Know, but it's almost it's beyond him, you know. It's... I yeah, I I feel I'm thinking. You know, we all know that Doctor Who in in these early, uh, in this early period, had an education remit, wasn't it? It was meant to educate, and I think it certainly does do that. But I think that John Nucarati perhaps has forgotten to remember that it's actually an adventure series as well. And that it's... Um, I did get the impression in the first few chapters of a bit of a, a fusty old school teacher again. You know, I did get that impression. But I actually found that, you know, it was very interesting, you know, very scholarly, lots of things. But where where's the drama? He needed a script editor in there to sort of say... That's lovely. Now, where's the monster? Where's the threat? Where's the drama? What's going on? What, what... I mean, some would say it's an interesting concept in that it's not got the central villain, wouldn't they? You know, people like that about Doctor Who. They like it moves away from the norm now and again, don't they? Yes, absolutely. But, yeah. as I've already said as well, I think the Doctor is spread too thin. Possibly not helped by the yeah. doppelganger business, but... I, yeah. I, w I was just going to mention that, Mike. You got the reformer. 
is in, in the first couple of chapters he seems not to be the the most important person there. Yeah. It seems to be more to do with the, the sort of history stuff and the people in France telling you what's happening, basically. And I think that's a, not a good idea. No, no. Yeah, it's unusual for him to turn up anywhere in these, like, last 52 years and not know yeah. not know what's going on, isn't it? You know, it's quite unusual. Well, these, these days you, you, you would have a historical story like this, but you'd chuck an alien monster yeah. in there who's going to do something and the Doctor has to destroy this monster before... He disrupts the whole of time, or whatever. You'd have the doctor materialising in Paris with a companion. There'd be yeah. sewers, just sewers, yeah. sewer contents just being misthrown yeah. at them in the TARDIS, and he'd sort of yeah. wrap it up in a minute, wouldn't he? A minute's, yeah. Yeah. A minute's well, uh, exposition. I'm just wondering, with a sort of later Doctor Who story, with uh, City of Death, do you think there's influences of this one in that? In the oh. City of Death, possibly, yeah. Obviously, there's Paris, and they've been to Paris before in the Reign of Terror. There's a lot of stuff, you know, it's not the first time in Who they've been to the Paris, and it, you can see what later things probably influence from this. Yeah, because they went to Reign of Terror, I said, as well, in the very first season, didn't they? I think we've covered um, most of the story, I think. Um, shall we move on to the audiobook? Do you want to go first, Greg? Oh. I quite enjoyed the audiobook. I thought um, Peter Purvis... Um, was okay reading it you know he's got he can have quite a commanding voice at times but i did feel some of the <laughs> most of it was was really well read but i have to say for some bizarre reason peter purvis decides to give the the characters in this you know the parisian characters like the wretched girl as she stereotypically called this bizarre Devon Cornish Somerset accent. She she's the West a Country fight. accent. Yeah, yeah. show you like that, yeah, innit? Yeah. I mean it's just, <laughs> it's just bizarre, isn't it? I mean, did do you hear that, Alex? I did actually think about it, yeah, it's a bit weird, I have to admit. It, well, otherwise I thought he was a really good reader, but you can tell he's not sort of used to doing audiobooks because it was a bit up and down on his voice ideas, and it, it does yeah, you can, get quite fun when he's sort of going well over the top in it. Yeah, he gets enthusiastic and then sort of has to mould back into the drama, doesn't he? And it can get, it can get to be a bit of a laborious listen. Then I think. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Also, I I do think his Hartnell captures Hartnell brilliantly. I think he captures the first Doctor very well. Yeah, I like him doing. And I do like the fact he just doesn't really change the voice at all for the Abbott disease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the same voice. It's the same voice. Yeah, I I think I liked uh, I you know it, it it was it was okay, but like I say, you know where this for some bizarre reason I don't know I I felt by choosing to use this west this over the top west country accent for peasant people for people of of that um, status in society came across as a little bit um, racist. Well, no, I don't want to say racist. Yeah, no, not racist, but stereotyping i felt you know it reminded me for example like for example why couldn't he if he's going to do a silly voice for someone why doesn't he do a silly voice for the abbot of ambras why doesn't he make a silly posh accent yeah, for them do a why, voice why for... does exactly why, why why aren't they made fools of but why is the, the the wretched girl example why is she made to be some sort of idiot you know, mm. with, with a silly voice. It's not right. And it's possibly, you know, because Purvis is from that area of the 60s, isn't he? You know, it was all about, if you watch television from back in those days, listen to radio, yes. you know, yeah. social class is sort of, yes. is sort of epitomised by certain sort of 
what uh, they used to call yokel accents, isn't it? You know. Well, absolutely. Us on the perimeters yeah. of Britain, yeah, and uh, not not in the big bigger cities, I uh, suppose. What, yeah. What's your take on that, Al? Yeah, I, I would agree, I would agree there, but he is going from the sort of you know RP days of the BBC where everybody was posh or they were yokel and not very you know clever and intelligent basically because from that sort of period Peter poses but he is an absolute gent because as as you both know from regen a few years ago he was there and he was hanging out with people so he's not he's not yeah. stardom at all he sort of yeah, I, I think i was outside with him at regen oh I, he, um, he yeah. was talking to me for nearly an hour and he'd never know he was starry at all Oh, that's really that's lovely to hear that. It's a great Alex story. Yeah. He's a very nice man. Oh, I, and I, I spoke to him about Kickstart, the old uh, yeah. motorbike show as well. I remember he yeah. used to present. Oh, I, d- I don't mean to. I'm not attacking him personally. I'm just saying that it seems to be. It's like you know, it's an unconscious decision which <clears> is <throat> betraying that old attitude, if you like. Possibly. You know? I mean. Yeah. He- was there a director for this as well? There must be a director for these audios, I suppose. Yes, there must they, be, yes. Would they have encouraged that? Or? Yeah. Maybe. It's, it yeah. probably wouldn't be him. It's, it's a, a directorial decision that, you know, it's a stereotype French well, peasant. So I would do it in a French accent or yokel. And he probably went with yokel. Yeah, yes. you might as well sort of yeah. do it in Peter Sellers Clouseau accent, might you? Yeah. <laughs> you might as well exactly, just do that. Yes, yeah. Hello, Alison. Yes, yeah, I suppose that's true. Though I, I will say, you know, the rest of his um, read, and I, I thought he's got a good powerful direct voice you know and um i did like some of the things that she said that uh where was this he's got oh yeah one of his most arch moments i've got though is when he turns the prison the parisian prison guards into vogon guards from the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy <laughs> that was oh yeah <laughs> did you know did you notice that for yeah. some reason i did actually i did <laughs> i thought that was quite funny you know it's uh that was great but I also like the way he, he, he pronounced some of the sayings in there. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. He called the um, the livery guards the liveried lackeys. Yeah, the, that, was good. Like, that was a good use of language, I, I thought. I like, yeah. I like that. So there were some, some great things. Perhaps there isn't quite the flourish we've seen of like a uh, Ian Martyr, the Visceral. The visceral nature, or the, yes. or the Terence sticks. Yes, you know, yeah. lovely wordplay, but generally, you know, generally well written, isn't it? And yes, yeah, yeah. Well, research, as you say, is very scholarly written in the way that you know Mr. Bidme is very scientifically written. It's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Can I just mention one thing about the end? Is a uh, not the actual epilogue, the actual ending of the the last chapter, and they sort of end up in a pub again, don't they? You know, it's oh yes. You know, what does it matter? We're all fighting, but we can all have a drink at the end of the day. You know, that's probably. The spirit of human life right there, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And what, one funny thing which I noted as well, um, I loved the line which was so ridiculous, was uh, um, he says, Stephen hoped he hadn't forgotten the fencing lessons he'd had at the Space Academy. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't he? I thought that was... Uh, I mean, was he the first futuristic companion or was that Vicky? I'm trying to remember. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, Vicky comes from a uh, crashed spaceship as well, doesn't she, I yeah. think? Maureen O'Brien. I just thought yeah. I didn't know what what was John Lucarati being... Was it was he being, you know, comical or was he trying to be I mean, serious? They, or... they, by Stephen's time, they don't have working lightsabers, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> good. Space fencing, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's good. But um, do anything else to say on it, Mike? Not really, Greg, you know. Oh, Alex? 
And I think we covered everything. I yeah, that's what right. I saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a cover of William Hartnell in a monk robe, isn't there? I think. Oh, right. Yeah, but it just yeah. doesn't. No. Doesn't really tell you anything about the story. It no. could just be like a horror film with a monk, no. or it, it just put true. me in the that, mind that of the meddling monk, first of all. Yeah. But it, you know, it's clearly Hartnell's face. Yeah. You know, that doesn't sound great at all. I, I think some I think reference I have, to France, maybe on it. Or... Yeah, I think I have seen it. Now, has it got some battles going on in the background? Uh, sort of. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think. Not just stuck Notre Dame on it with something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should, we, should we give Should we give a score? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Give a score. Okay. So, today, um, first of all, we're going to Alex, and what's your score for this story? Uh, well, I think I will give it a six because the audiobook was very good and I, I sort of got through it and enjoyed it for various bits. And the, the book's interesting, it's got a good historical plot and good historical references. So I think a six covers it. Yeah, can I just say I had a bit of feedback from, from my friend Lee, our friend Lee here in Swansea. He said he'd like us to keep the doctor scoring. I don't know if we'd uh, oh, want so that because we oh, just... I say it's a Colin Baker yeah. well, then. Oh. Right, okay. And adding that to it, it's a Colin for me as well. Six, a solid six for both the um, audio book and the novelisation. And I think I'm going to be a little bit harsher, but I'm just going to give I'm going to give a five. I think for Peter say, Davison. Uh, a Davison, yeah. I I agree with you both um, on that. The you know he certainly knows what he's talking about in the book, but I just felt although there were parts which were interesting and some really good things, it didn't quite fire me you know it, uh, yeah it does sort of it labors along doesn't it and it doesn't yeah. it's missing some sort of spark like we yeah. said possibly possibly the villain yes i think yeah. it's missing that yes i'd love to see the tv version of this to see what it actually what they put up there on the screen you know i'd like to see that next time on doctor who on target we will be reviewing the two doctors Novelization by Robert Holmes, along with the audio release, read by Colin Baker. Doctor Who on Target Podcast 10 featured Greg James, Michael Winks, Alexander Gibbons, who appeared via video call. Original Doctor Who music composition by Delia Derbyshire and Ron Grainer. Arrangement, opening titles, Smerin's Anti-Social Club. Arrangement of the closing titles by Bendy Keys Music. Check out his YouTube channel of the same name, Bendy Keys Music. Who's on Target Podcast 9 was recorded in Swansea, South Wales and Exeter, Devon, UK during October 2015.